Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Monday, June 19th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives. As we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people and using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that page and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the reality management worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives when they do, and secondarily because it tends to lead to comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we encourage you to do so by calling 563-999-3581. If you call that number, press 1 on your phone. 
It'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I will turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. And we also appreciate when people do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work when people let us know how this is landing for them, whether they're finding it useful, relevant, specific to their situation, etc. And if there's anything we can do specifically to help you with getting resolution to an issue, applying the worksheet process, understanding the worksheet process, clarifying the dynamics that make it as useful as it is, we would be happy to share that with you and happy if you would share that with us. I should also note that you can go to mindshiftersacademy.org and there's a whole list of resources there that are designed specifically to help increase exposure to this work and drive more people to the whyagain.org webpage through links and and um, associated connections. There are some files there that I've singled out as being highlight shows from this particular hour of the Internet show. The Internet show itself has been running for over 12 years now. The first eight hours were one hour a day, five days a week, and the last four plus have been two hours a day, five days a week, specifically to try and get an increased exposure to this set of tools for everyone and everyone. Michael says his goal is to get these tools into the hands of every mind, heart, and being on the planet, whether they have finances to pay for it or not. And that's the reason for all of this work, all of the Internet show, all of the support groups, the... MindShiftersAcademy.org website, etc. And anything you feel moved to do to help us accomplish that will be greatly appreciated. It was the uh, most people who had good experiences with their fathers, spent the weekend celebrating Father's Day. And um, whether you were one of those or one of the people who've struggled with your relationship with your father over the years, either way, if there's a comment or a question to make about how the weekend went for you, we'd be happy to support you in processing that. I have already had a session today with somebody who was struggling mightily through the the week, the weekend, with you know very good reason because of the current situation in these people's lives and the history with fatherhood. And so, if there's anything we can do to support you, please let us know. 
these tools, the use of these tools on a regular basis are phenomenally productive. I remember the the times when I have been really stuck. I was listening to the the book by Richard um, C. Schwartz. And near the end of the book, in the last couple of chapters, he talks about the actual specifics and the pitfalls to look out for. And the more I listened to it, the more I thought, this is, you know, he understands very, very much of the same kinds of things that Dr. Michael Rice has learned in his work with these tools and how each of us is creating our experience of life, our emotions, etc. And um, he talks about it from the perspective of parts, and there are parts of me that get wounded and that um, don't understand the the things that a a core part of me might. He says, you know, each and every one of us has a core self. This is very much like understanding that you come from love and you're made of love and you are love and everything else is false. And uh, there's a dilemma a lot of us have because the voice in our head doesn't usually have different identifiers. Right? It's not like one sounds like a little boy and one sounds like a grown man and one sounds like a 20-something or one sounds like a woman and one sounds like somebody doing a Mel Brooks impersonation. They all sound the same. They sound like me. And yet one of them can fly into the rage, into a rage at the drop of a hat, and one of them can... be whimpering, cowering in fear one moment and deeply confused the next and deeply grieving the next. And the the big question is, how do I tell them apart? Well, his instruction for that is we look for qualities and these eight words all that begin with the letter C that denote qualities of my core self and he says when I'm leading from my true self my core self I will experience confidence calmness creativity clarity curiosity courage compassion, and connectedness. By extension, 
if I'm ever feeling anything less than that, I can instantly know this is not my core self. This is not my core self. And there's a part of me which can drop into this calm, centered, connected space and know all is going to be okay. Despite a part of me that's terrified and a part of me that's enraged and a part of me that's grieving so deeply that he or she or it can't breathe. The point of which is all of this work is the same as the work with the reality management worksheet and the responsibility communication is to step into 100%, eventually be in the 100% responsibility for every emotion I experience. And again, it's important to clarify that responsibility does not mean blame or guilt or shame. It simply means I have a tool I can pick up and I can look at everything that's been going on in my life. I can identify what's my part of this pattern been. And then I can identify from that my part of the pattern is this, that, or the other then I can say, okay, now these are things I can change. Because if I'm doing this part of this pattern and I have any sense of ability to control my actions and my words, now I'm going to step into the use of that control, the use of that ability to choose to create for myself a different response pattern. I pick up the tool and now I have the ability to respond differently response hyphen ability the ability to respond differently the next time a similar situation arises and with practice and with consistent what michael would call consistent persistent application of that awareness and the tools that either michael rice provides or any of the other people we've mentioned provide, whether it's Byron Katie or Diedrich Wolzak. Or the Sedona Release Method or Ho'oponopono. Or the process for forgiveness that's in Chapter 3 of the Way of Mastery, that kind of a mental release process. If I step into acknowledgement of my role then it makes really good sense to use a tool if I'm still stuck thinking someone else has caused what I'm feeling then it doesn't make any sense for me to pick up a tool and the internal family systems work and that book you are the one you've been waiting for specifically focuses on exactly the same thing. The ultimate goal is that each one of us gets to be self-directed, self-leadership, self-responsibility. And I understand that if I choose a response of being enraged, 
and my mind tells me I'm only doing that because my partner said or did this, that, or the other thing, my core self can know that's never been the case. And this is a wounded part of me from the past, and if I meet that part of me with compassion, with gentleness, with centeredness, with connectedness, I have a range of options that I cannot see or experience if I respond from upset or any kind of a triggered place. So if you're having any kind of difficulty taking 100% responsibility for every emotion you feel, the set of tools that Dr. Michael Rice offers or the set of tools that's available through the internal family system approach or Byron Katie's work or Diedrich Wolzak's Choose Again process, I highly recommend any and all of these until you find one that you're comfortable with. And there are people who will tell you, you know, it can be quicker, it can be easier, it doesn't have to be that hard. I just listened to a 15-minute video over the weekend of somebody who claims that if you just take his training and you let him you know, talk to your unconscious, he can help you resolve everything in, in moments and minutes rather than years of work. And there are people who will be drawn to that kind of thing. It's essentially a, a, a modification of hypnosis. And those people will be the ones who either don't want to make the time for the deeper level work or don't think they need to take any time to make lifelong changes. And if you're drawn to that, pursue that. See what benefits you can get from it. What I keep trying to tell people is if you're not completely happy with your life, keep working at it because there will probably be something you can find that brings you considerable relief, improvement, transformation compared to what you're experiencing when you do not like your life. I just talked to another person over the weekend who for years was relatively miserable in life and then had a crisis, and and prior to the crisis, rejected all forms of assistance, all forms of therapy or treatment, and just assumed, you know, this is just the way it is, it's my life, I can't do anything about it. And then there was a crisis, and as a result of the crisis, they ended up in a treatment that was forced, and now they've got a whole new perspective they're actually making use of the therapeutic process they've made changes in what they do with what they ingest into their body that might affect their mind and their life is transforming and the point of that is if i don't want assistance no one can help me when i choose to improve no one can stop me and that's a message that comes very clearly through the way of mastery. It's you know something to be rejoiced about because you have choice. 
And if you choose to get better, no one can stop you. If you choose to stay the way you are, no one can change you. And I, I personally am drawn to those situations that, that in my life have produced positive results. And I tend to, to work at being results-oriented whenever I'm working with somebody in therapy and whenever, whenever I'm working with somebody in the support group work. It's just, to me, there's just so much good that, that's there to be seen and that can come from the application of your choice that... Um, I, I remain, I would say, uh, constantly optimistic. At the same time, I understand that there are people who are not going to choose for change. They're not going to choose for love and compassion and always looking on the bright side. And I want to bless them on their way and understand that they have the right to choose how they use the creative force of their mind energy. And that ultimately, I don't know that what I'm choosing is any better for myself or the world around me than what they're choosing. I just know this is what I prefer. So if that sounds useful to you, if that sounds like a reasonable way to look at life, and if you would like to learn more about these tools, Give us a call, 563-999-3581. Call that number, press 1, and we can have a conversation. We have plenty of time today to have a conversation. I, uh, I have now finished the book by uh, Schwartz about you are the one, the title is, you are the one you've been waiting for applying internal family systems in intimate relationships, and I'm completely comfortable recommending it to people and mentioning that it's not a quick fix. There's no, it's not like the 15-minute video I watched this weekend that promises, you know, instant results, near instant results. You know, revolutionary. It isn't a revolutionary idea. It's simply a framework for thinking about practical way to take more and more responsibility for every emotion I experience and to find a way to look lovingly, approach myself and any part of myself that I experience with compassion and clarity and connectedness and that I personally find it transformative, which is why I recommend it to others. I I don't think I've ever recommended something that I haven't found useful in my own personal work. And um, if that sounds interesting to you or you don't understand how that could be, give us a call. We can have a discussion about it. I'm in lieu of anybody raising a hand, I will go back to reading some of the essays from 
A Walk in the Physical by Christian Sundberg. And the, the next article that's up for reading is titled number 114, Trying to Name the Attributes of God. The essay reads, Attributes are not fundamental. Spirit is fundamental. Attributes occur within, by, and through spirit. To say that another way, forms and objects are not fundamental. Life itself is fundamental. Forms and objects occur within and by life. So it is not correct to ask what form is God, what attributes belong to him and which do not. That question incorrectly imposes attributes with the fundamental quality, the fundamental quality of life itself. That which is fundamental gives rise to form, expresses form, gives birth to form. It is not that form has fundamental existence. As Rupert Spira says, quote, objects do not have existence. Existence has objects, close quote. Does this mean that God is not kind or compassionate or loving? No, it does not mean that. It is quite accurate to say that God is absolutely and unconditionally loving, understanding, and compassionate. And indeed, the sojourn of the spirit into duality ultimately expands the real depths of kindness, compassion, and love. What it means, though, is that we cannot successfully impose local qualities on that which gives rise to those local qualities. As we ponder the nature of God, then, we are wise to turn from the thinking mind to the depths of being within us, which itself transcends the distinctions that abound in our physical experience. And that being within us knows, already knows, the truth that cannot be named. Now, when I read this, I think about the podcast called Hidden Brain by Shankar Vedankan. And Hidden Brain had an episode that I heard this weekend where a researcher who's trying to research what happens when people meditate? What happens when deep meditators who've been trained for years do loving kindness meditations and compassion meditations, etc.? And these are high-level people, people who got access to the Dalai Lama, people who went over into the home territory of these Buddhist monks and carried 5,000 pounds worth of technical computers and scans and 
electroencephalograph, QEEG, neurofeedback machines, etc. And they went to these most experienced Buddhist monks, most experienced meditators they could find. People had been doing this for decades, hours every day. And it was a complete bust because, number one, they had a great deal of difficulty convincing these monks that they weren't going to be zapping their brains or putting electricity into the body and that that the machines and devices were only exclusively there to measure the energies that were already in the person. So then they decided that one of the researchers would be the guinea pig and do a demonstration in front of the monks. And they talked about how they were going to be measuring um, changes to get at the root of what is this thing that we call compassion. And they were going to have a meditator meditating loving kindness and compassion meditation. And they put all of these electrodes on the meditator's head to measure the brain waves, etc. And when they did that, after telling these monks what they were going to be doing and what they were hoping to measure about changes related to compassion, the monks burst out laughing. And the experimenters thought it was because the person looked so silly with all of the electrodes pasted to their head and because there was some kind of a language gap. What they found out a day or two later was that had nothing to do with why the monks were laughing. The monks were laughing hysterically because these Western scientists, these brain experts, these experimenters, wanted to learn about compassion and they were studying the head rather than the heart. Let that sink in. These monks were laughing hysterically because they put all these electrodes on the head and nothing to measure what's going on in the heart. This last paragraph from the last essay I read says, it doesn't mean that God is not compassionate or loving. It's quite accurate to say that whatever this thing is that you want to call God, life, love, etc., is absolutely unconditionally loving and understanding and compassionate. And indeed, the end result of our being in the physical, from spirit, engaging this sense of duality, expands the very real depths of kindness and compassion and love that we can experience. It means that we cannot successfully impose local qualities on whatever gives rise to those qualities. In other words, the essence of life, the essence of love, the essence of compassion, the essence of what gives rise to love and compassion, God, life, love itself, is bigger than what manifests from it. 
And as we sit here and try to ponder what is the nature of life, all that is, God, etc., we are wise to turn from the thinking mind to the depths of being within us. Think about my heart space. Because the wisdom that comes from my heart space itself transcends the distinctions that abound in the physical experience. The wisdom that comes from my connection to my source at a felt sense that goes beyond words already knows the truth that cannot be named. Remember, as we like to say on this radio show and in the support groups, we're talking about things with words that go way beyond words, each new heartbeat. And the words themselves that we use don't have any meanings except the meaning that we attribute to them in, in our individual brains. You know, I, there are just so many examples of this. So many times people have been exposed to a thought or a concept or a lecture by somebody, and it's videotaped, so it's not like the person is changing what they're saying. And they're watching the same video, or they're reading the same book, and one time they take away a certain level of meaning. Six months or a year or six years later, they get exposed to the same lecture or the same book, and they take a radically different meaning. What changed? Certainly not the videotape, certainly not the words in the print of the book. What changed is the level of understanding inside the mind that receives those impressions. This is why it might be of use to have the Mind Shifters Radio go five days a week, two hours a day for the past four years, going on five. This is why the Mind Shifters Radio, eight years before that, one hour a day, five days a week, has some value. Not because we're going to be saying anything absolutely new or earth-shatteringly different from one day to the next, one episode of the recording to the next, but because if it's said slightly differently, if it's said two years on from the first time you heard it, your self, your mind, your ability to comprehend may have expanded in a way that allows something to get resonated inside you that was never possible before. And you get ushered into an experience of yourself, of life, of your true nature, and or the true nature of everyone and everything around you that simply wasn't possible prior to that. So, just like the Buddhist monks with decades of practice in meditation laugh at the Western scientists who want to measure compassion in the brain, we are encouraging people to drop into the heart. If you listen to the interview I did with Sandy Wilder, he said, 
he spends most of his time with people from the West, trying to get them to listen inside themselves. And he says, it's, it's a Western problem more than, than some other cultures. There are a lot of indigenous cultures that from the time they get language, they're being conditioned to listen to the weather, to the trees, to the animals, to each other's hearts, to their own heart. Again, one of the reasons every time I go into it and I say, please don't put anybody on a pedestal. Don't put Michael Rice on a pedestal. Don't put Byron Katie on a pedestal. Don't put Diedrich Wolzak on a pedestal. Don't put Guy Finley on a pedestal. Anyone on a pedestal. Don't put Yeshua on a pedestal. I know, that, that rankles a lot of people. And yet, in their own words, all these great teachers will say things like Yeshua has been quoted as saying, of myself I do nothing. If I come in my own name, I'm a false prophet. It's the Father, it's the energy, it's the source within me that does these things. You can do the same things I have done and even greater. If that isn't advice telling people don't put anyone on a pedestal, I don't know what is. It is the experience that you can have when you turn your listening ear into your core, into that which gives you life, into that which feeds you insight, intuition, creativity, and aliveness, that lets you tap into the same wisdom. This is why he came to me to say, wisdom can't be possessed. It can only be accessed. And everyone has access to it. Everyone who has life moving within them has access to the same source. And as Guy Finley says, your creator didn't put you in a world where you have to go hunting through the Himalayas and caves and meditating for decades to find the teacher that can teach you what you need to know to move into an enlightened state. Your creator puts you in a space in this existence where the forces that can teach you, that can touch you and, and reach you and teach you like nothing else will never abandon you if you just ask to be shown. Which means if I'm not asking to be shown, if I think I already know, what's happening is I'm blocking that which would teach me that which is always there, that which will never abandon me. If I get stuck in my head, if I put electrodes all over my brain to try and study compassion or love or tenderness, I'm not going to learn very much about compassion or love or tenderness. And it's fascinating that there are some people, the heart, heart math people, that are studying that. And they're saying, look, we've, we've mapped all of these connections that go from the head to the heart and the heart to the head. And we expected to have the vast majority of them go from the head to the heart because we in the Western world think our brain is our source and that's where we are located. 
And yet when they map out those connections, they see that the vast majority of energy flows from the heart to the brain. And so they're, they've reoriented and they're studying much more about the heart energy and much more about the nerve cells, the bundle of large, large bundle of nerve cells on the top of the heart that actually forms a kind of a brain. And they're studying what are the rhythms and the energy flows in the heart when people are feeling calm and loving and compassionate. And what are those energies like in the heart when people are feeling tight or tense or stressed or angry? Anything you can do to slow down and turn to listen to yourself will benefit you, to listen to the sources within you that give rise to you, not your mind chattering, not the anger and fear. That's why one of the, one of the most useful things that I've encountered in all of Dr. Michael Rice's work was one of the first lines on, on, the, on the original 12-step worksheet process that I was exposed to. It's certainly not the original worksheet. He'd been doing them for couple decades before I ran into this work but when I got introduced to the work there was a 12-step worksheet that he and Jeannie would present when they traveled and did, did these workshops and one of the lines on that worksheet that just really opened things for me at a new level was if I'm in pain I'm in error now, there are remnants of that in the current worksheet. It says, if I'm in pain, my thinking is in error, which is every bit as valid. It didn't strike me as strongly as the original. And so I, from that original statement, if I'm in pain, I'm in error, I chose to start evaluating the earliest warning signs of any discomfort in my physical and emotional state and decide to treat that as an alarm system telling me that something's wrong in the way I'm thinking of, the way I'm perceiving, the way I'm focusing on the events in my life internally and externally. And the only solution will come when I look inside where the pain is since that's where the alarm is. And a number of years later, I was at teacher training in Heartland we had to come up with a way to teach one of the chapters and it came to me when it was my turn to do this and I was given this chapter to look at that I said hey well if I've been practicing for a number of years now that anytime I have a tightness or a tension or a negative emotion in me it's like my alarm system to wake me up to the fact that there's a problem in my thought in my internal process how can I teach that to somebody else? So it came to me to say when I was teaching the class, okay, anybody here have a smoke alarm in your house? A lot of hands went up. I said, if that smoke alarm went off at 3 o'clock in the morning, is there any part of you that would get up and dial 911 and send them to a house three blocks down across the street? And they kind of laughed and said, no. I said, well, why not? Don't you care about those poor people? There's an alarm going off. Maybe their house is on fire. 
And, of course, there were some people that were chuckling and some people that didn't know what my point was. And I said, well, well, if you had an alarm go off in your house and you picked up the phone to dial 911, where would you tell them to go? Well, I'd tell them to go to my house. Why? Because that's where the alarm is going off. That's where the problem is. So if I have any kind of tension within me, if I have any kind of anger or fear or an emotion that I would say is negative, that uncomfortable emotion is inside me. That's an alarm telling me there's something wrong inside me. The craziness of my culture is I was literally raised in a culture that made me think if there's a pain inside of me and the alarm is going off inside me, it means someone or something outside me is wrong and I either need to attack them or run away from them or bribe them or seduce them to try and get them to change so that I don't have to feel the pain that's inside of me. And it never works. This is an inside job. And the more we can learn to take the time to slow down and listen inside of ourselves, and the more we've learned tools for dealing with what we are doing inside of ourselves, the better our lives can get but only if we are willing to learn those tools and then apply them directly to the source of the problem. And the source of my pain, the source of my sadness, the source of my fear, the source of my anger is always inside me. And the ways you want to talk about that are many and varied. You can talk about them as if I choose an interpretation you can talk about it as if I got triggered. You can talk about it as if the resonance of a traumatic energy in me is triggered or activated by something going on. In the, it, it doesn't matter to me how you talk about it. What matters to me is can you actually turn the focus inside yourself with 100% responsibility for what you're creating? And once one can do that, one opens up the possibility for resolving the actual mechanism that's creating pain. So call in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, we can have a conversation. If you choose not to do that, you'll hear one more essay today probably. Essay 115 from A Walk in the Physical is titled, Loving Intent Transcends All Axes. And the essay reads, Our walk in the physical is a journey of experiential growth. A fundamental part of that growth is improving what Tom Campbell calls our, quote, quality of intent, close quote. That is, evolving our deepest why, why are we here, our deepest reason for being here, evolving it towards love and away from fear. He actually says past fear. This movement does not occur on one axis. We are multidimensional beings, so our expansion towards love is also multidimensional. 
since all we remember is our experience in a universe of duality, as we explore how best to respond to questions of spirituality or morality, we sometimes assume that we should be, quote, moving in one direction and not the other, close quotes. We sometimes imagine that there is one axis for any given spiritual or moral choice. And as spiritual people, we wonder if we should be moving in, quote, one direction, close quotes. And one direction along that specific axis. For example, should we always be peaceful? Or is it sometimes acceptable to harm others? Should we strive and exert our will to accomplish things, or should we relinquish effort and surrender? Should we always give in when another has need or cut them off if we feel it is best for them? We might even include the thought, should we believe in religious teachings or let them go? In all of these deliberations, paramount question we should be asking ourselves is, why are we making the choice we're making? Are we truly motivated by the best interests of the other and of the whole, or are we actually motivated to protect and serve ourselves? As we genuinely explore that question, we find that even in love, different circumstances may demand different answers. It may be meaningful then to recognize that as we refine the quality of our intent towards love, when it comes to making spiritual or moral choices, there are two important ways that we spiritually grow. The first is that we grow strong in being able to perform in any given direction. To put another way, we strengthen a given virtue. We see how far and how deep we can go in making any given choice, even when the circumstance is difficult. So, in response to the above examples, we learn how to be peaceful even in the face of conflict. We learn how to be courageous and to intervene when necessary, even in the face of danger. We learn how to strive and exert great effort. And we learn how to release control and surrender. We learn how to be selfless and give all that we can, even at the expense of the self. And we learn how to refuse. We learn when and how to deeply put our faith in the ideas of our world and when to go our own way. Any one of these or many thousands of other aspects of experiential learning can be its own lesson. Sometimes we can spend an entire lifetime or more just experientially learning one type of strength, but each of these qualities and a great many more have their meaningful place in a consciousness-based creation. The second way we grow is that we refine our ability to best discern 
which choice, which force to employ in any given circumstance. We grow in wisdom as we learn from our experiences and repeatedly live the results of our own intentions, we experientially develop discernment that is unobscured by ego. We develop clarity of awareness when appraising both external and internal environments such that we can appropriately identify and acknowledge what will best serve the whole we grow in our ability to make the best choice for the betterment of others. And we refine our ability to identify and select that choice even when the circumstances are complex and even when the personal costs may be great. Now that pulls me up short. That's not the end of this essay. But I just, as I read that, I flashed on a series of difficult choices I've made even over the past four or five years with regard to my work, with regard to the way I teach this work, with regard to my participation in the support groups or with the Journey's Dream. We grow in our ability to make the best choice for the betterment of others, and we refine our ability to identify and select that choice, even when the circumstances are complex, and even when the personal costs may be great. And there have been costs. This essay goes on and says, both of these types of growth are precious to the spirit. The spirit seeks to mightily develop the both as it journeys through lifetimes. Both of these types of growth contribute toward the expansion of love. Love is not on one axis. It encompasses them all. Love encompasses many virtues, peace and bravery, will and release, charity and discipline, faith and self-reliance, rest and servants, service, self-love and love for others, confidence and humility, prudence and sacrifice and many, many more. In truth, the two, quote, ways we grow, close quotes, that are described above are not separate. And these dualistic ideas are very crude representations of the complex evolution of our intent. But for we who are rooted in duality, it can be helpful to recognize that there is not one teaching or behavior that can fully communicate what it means to grow spiritually. Rather, each of us should do our best to meet our experience fully, genuinely, and selflessly wherever we are 
without necessarily leaning on a given belief or axis. This open approach helps us to use the human experience for all it is meant to be, and this open approach facilitates growth towards love in all the many ways that are possible. That is an essay I will be going back to again and again. And it probably holds several worksheets I will do on the emotions that were coming up, talking about the cost of the choices when the circumstances are complex and the personal costs may be great. And should any of those yield results that are tangible or relatively easy to communicate, I will share them in future episodes of this Mind Shifters Radio. So, pretty much to the close of our session. The second hour should begin in just a couple minutes. I will remind us all that we have a support group coming up tomorrow night, and again one coming up on Thursday. I will also remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. Appreciate you. You're welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thank you. So welcome everybody to Mind Shifters Radio, the second hour. And today is Monday, June the 19th, 2023. And our calling number is 563-999-3581. And press 1. And that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And we'll give Michael a moment to dial in. I see we already have a hand up. Um, I believe this is Miss Ann, so I'm going to turn her microphone on and say hello. How are you doing, Ann? Hi. Well, I survived my trip to, my driving trip to South Carolina and back. Well, and to dog sitting and, yeah, and then, but I got out to Spokane, Washington to see uh, my granddaughter. That's a lot of traveling. It was. So it's taken me a couple days to recover um, because there was some, well, okay, I'm learning to call them gifts, right, along the way. Right. Um, challenge gifts, gift, gifting challenges. <laughs> I don't know how to put them. Um, but I made it through those, but then it kind of offset my whole rhythm of my body and my you know, thinking, but but anyway, it was all safe and it was it was all good after the fact. Yeah. You know, when you look back. And so, um, I put my yeah. hand up because I was trying to catch Doctor Tim. He got off, but um, I'll try to um, see if I can't catch it tomorrow. I, I don't have any Wi-Fi, so my internet got fixed, but my Wi-Fi thing isn't. And when I called in the the company for the Wi-Fi, the Aces they were having issues. So I'm going to have to call oh. them. 
Um, uh, again, yeah. but you know, not good at recording. Hopefully, I'll get somebody to help walk me through how to do. I tried the reset a couple of times, but I don't know if they're still having trouble. Anyway, um, part of what I was when I um, probably only got the last half of the show, his show, but he's talked often talked, and I know Michael and you have you know read things are um, different. I remember him talking in the intensives. You've been overseas and to different places and what on the west coast and talk to a um like a dalai lama person that's the only thing way i can say it because monk or whatever you know um spiritual teachers and and dr tim has referenced that you know he's read some things over the years that he put away because he says no i can't handle this right and so i just had that experience with a a CD that was called The Power of Now, and I was going to ask him, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with the person that is being interviewed on there. Is sounds like a spiritual teacher, and um, I've listened to it a couple of other times over the years. Just it was too way out there for me, right? But now when it? I got back from is the that, trip, is that at Eckhart Tolle's Power of Now that you're talking about? I have no idea because all the discs that I think someone copied it for me, which I'm not even sure if I remember the person that gave it to me, um, he just sounds like, you know, a spiritual teacher that that when you hear them, I don't know, they just have this nice, quiet voice and direct, no ifs, ands, does, whatever, you know, when they talk. And the, the girl that was interviewing was just like, I want to say, the only phrase I can think of is the old phrase of the devil's advocate, where she's asking questions that, wait, I don't understand. And so he would put it a different way, right? Um, I heard it totally different after my experiences, you know, driving, coming back this time from the trip. And it's like, I know it's because I've been listening to you guys, you know, the radio show, um, been doing some of the work, huh? still working on consistency, but it took on a different meaning. And it took on that, okay, staying in the present because he talks so much about it. And But he also brought in scripture um, and talked about, you know, Yeshua and, um, and his teachings and putting it into that. So it could be very well be who you just said. <laughs> um, anyway. Um, I'm going to be listening to it a couple more times at least. It's one of those things like Dr. Tim was just saying that the essay that he just read today at the end that he was going to go over it a couple more times, you know, and because and, he was um, triggered with some emotions and that he would, just like you folks do sometimes, would share whatever comes up on a wake-up sheet, you know, with us if possible. And... That's what I'm thinking of this CD now. I need to listen to it, get quiet, um, and listen to it a few more times and just absorb it more. Um, anyway. Sounds, sounds like your brain cells. Yes, yes. And that's exactly what I was thinking when I, when I started listening to it the first time um, the other night. Um, Wow, must have the brain cells now. <laughs> well, most people, you know, they think they hear something, 
and and when they think they hear something outside of them, they think they understand something that happened outside of them. But yeah. recognizing how the mind really works, what's happening is the mind is generating a reality, and if I don't have the same content as the presenter or the speaker of that reality in my mind, then I can't hear what they're saying. My mind will generate its own input. When I realize, when I come to the point, what I hear you describing is, is a point where all of a sudden I go, oh, I don't have the brain cells for this yet, but this is something I want or I'm interested in. Then the work becomes building the brain cells so the mind can generate a matching reality to what's being presented. And it requires discipline. It requires doing one's work for sure. So awesome. Yes, absolutely. And it's like that aha moment. Oh, oh, I must have the brain cells. I'm catching on to this now. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then Dr. Kim has um, been talking about things that, you know, that were reiterating what I had just done. So I was going to share that, but I'll try to share that with him tomorrow because it's, you know, I hear him say that so often, too, because he referred back to, I don't know, some book that he had read and put it down and tried it a couple of different times. And finally, you know, in more recent years, had read it again. And I go, that's exactly what's happening. And I go, wow, this is yeah, great. Nice. Um, anyway, yeah, so then you just repeat, repeat. <laughs> and pro- and, I you know, remember and, doing and that. With... Comes up. Go ahead. Yeah. No, you finish. Um, well, it just takes me back to that, your phrase of the three P's, right? Practice, practice, practice. Right, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's a book that I had uh, had recommended to me. This goes back, geez, probably 25 years ago. And someone really raved about it. So I picked the book up and I, I couldn't even read it. I literally, like, you know, I couldn't get past even a couple of paragraphs. It was just you know, it just didn't fit, didn't make any sense for me. And it was probably about five years later, I was I was on the road, and I had I was flying, which I didn't usually do, so I picked up a brief, briefcase that I didn't usually use, and that book was in the briefcase. And so this is a period five years or so later. And And when I opened the briefcase and saw that book, I pulled it out. I literally read it in one sitting, just devoured it and loved it. And five years earlier, I literally could not read it. So, you know, I I realized that probably the first time I looked at it, it inspired me to start building some new brain cells. And and then, wow, it's like, whoa, some real insight here. So it's nice to have a community of friends that keep us, uh, you know, where everybody can keep uplifting everybody in that direction for sure. Absolutely, absolutely, because, yeah, it's just a reminder. And it goes back to our traditions or how we were brought up, and and Dr. Tim and you both have talked about this, where it, it, it opens up possibilities for us, okay, that, that, the way we were brought up in a church environment, whichever one it was, if it was that, that we now are more open to other things. It doesn't have to be this rigid way that we were taught. However, I want to keep that foundation because I find the benefit of keeping that foundation, you know, of, of the Bible. But now, and the, and the scriptures, the ancient scriptures, but 
like the work that you've done with the enlightenment stuff and then um but now i can i can keep that foundation but be open um to other things so yeah and and it's what's beneficial to us and what helps us do the inside job um yes. instead of their job so anyway so blessing thank you so much delighted thanks day. for calling in and nice to hear your voice how's your daughter doing oh that's why i went up and got some physical issues going on and i still have this cough headache but i'm looking at different avenues the inside job more now to deal with it because i've been procrastinating no surprise there right um um, to do my wake-up sheets but she's dealing with some physical things and um i was not in a place I was open to receiving some stuff about eating better and from her, but um, it wasn't a time for me to share my inside job with her. She knows about it, you know, right. just like me. I know I have the tools and I can use them. But um, So I was dog-sitting and then got to, you know, see my granddaughter up in Spokane, Washington to graduate from high school, and that was a delight, And even though I had only had a couple of days. But... Um, so, yeah, cool. they're thinking of moving to Missouri, but um, they were going to move other places, too. So now I'm on hold, and God is helping me to stay out of what they need to decide. You know, and so I'm going to hang out with Florida hold still space. for a while. Be the space. Yes, yes, be the space. So as I heal, again, I know it goes back to as I heal and do my work, then I will be able to resonate um, more yes. of that. Yes. Absolutely. Good stuff. Well, tell her we said hello and send our love. Yes, I will. Thank you. All right. Take care. Blessings. Thanks. So do we want to read from Michael Singer's book, or do you have something else that you want to open with, Michael? Well, let's open with that and uh, and see what unfolds. That's my thoughts in mind, but uh, let's go with that. Okay. Um, so I looked it up, and in The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle is written to get out of the analytical mind, and uh, it's presented in a question-answer format. So I believe that is the one that you're listening to. Okay, so we've been reading from um, Michael Singer's book called The Untethered Soul. We're in Chapter 6, and Chapter 6 is The Secrets of the Spiritual Heart. And where we stopped reading last week was uh, he talked about staying open and that uh, being in that um, he called it unending love but we're going to say eternal love continuing love and continuing openness that that's the natural state that we should be in to achieve this state simply allow the experiences of life to come in and pass through your being if old energies come back up because you were unable to process them before let go of them now. It's that easy. When that And they had given the example of a Mustang, a light blue Mustang going by, and this person, that was their girlfriend's car, you know, and, and even though it was five years later and he's with someone else, it still triggers that emotion and everything. So when that light blue Mustang drives by and you feel fear or jealousy, just smile. Be happy that this samskara, which has been stored down there for all this time, 
now has the opportunity to make it through you. Just open. Relax your heart. They're talking about the spirit, the spiritual heart. Forgive. Laugh. Do what. Do anything that you want. Just keep from pushing it down again. Release the pain. Of course, it hurts when it comes up. It's stored with pain, so it's going to release with pain. That's what we talk about. Let me throw a thought in there. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. One of the things that happens is we go through what we call a painful experience, and we don't, as he's talking about, don't let it move through us. We don't process it. So it's locked away. And then at some point later, it's resonated into activity. And people re-empower that old experience as present pain. And I think it makes a major difference when I recognize that this is not an experience of pain. This is an experience of a memory of pain. And that memory of pain doesn't need to be re-empowered to be a whole new, you know, I mean, literally when we remember something, we have to build a whole set of what the word calls chemicals in the mind to reproduce that experience. It, it isn't just that the memory, memory is laying there and bang, there it is. It's that the energetic dynamics are there and the mind has to restructure it. And when we realize that what the mind is doing is restructuring a memory of pain, we can, at least I found it to be useful, to recognize that and not have to re-empower it and make it the whole big trauma that it was initially, even though the memory tends to replicate that trauma. We don't have to re-empower it as a live today thing. It makes a difference. Did that make sense? Yes, it did. I was trying to do type notes as you were talking. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, definitely. It can come back up. You know, it's, we talked about that when something is suppressed, it cre- creates symptoms. And when we get vital enough to heal and comes back out, it looks like the same symptoms. Kind of like we were talking about um, a couple of weeks ago when I got symptomatic and they said, well, it, it looks like mono, but it wasn't an active case. And, and we determined that it was just going through the process of when I had it when I was 15. And symptomatically, it looked the same, felt the same, but it wasn't. Now, I could have bought into it and created it as a current, yep. present experience. Exactly. And so. And that's yeah, all part of it. you know being able to do what we're talking about is, is all part of being able to step back and observe your mind in operation, that idea of becoming the thinker apart from the thoughts, the feeler apart from the feelings, the actor apart from the actions. Right. So if it was stored with pain, then it's going to release with pain. That's the symptomatic that we were talking about. You have to decide if you want to continue to walk around with stored pain, blocking your heart, and limiting your life. The alternative is to be willing to let it go when it gets stimulated. It only hurts for a minute, then it's over. That's what you were talking about. It can go back, it can pass back through quickly, or 
you can make it real. If the resistor's in charge, it can go on for and on and on and on. <laughs> yeah. It, that just triggered a memory of one of the first times that I went to see our physician, and he looks at the whole body, spiritual, mental, emotional, physical. And um, I had talked to him about someone had like one of these bio machines or whatever, you put your hand on it and it reads all the things that are supposedly wrong with you and you can buy into it. And that was one of the things that he told me. He said there is a difference in energy moving through you. They had come back and said that it was showing that I had breast cancer. And he's, and so he said, you know, we'll do tests and everything just to ease your mind. He said, however, he said, those machines can't tell the difference of the energy moving through you, through your space, like, you know, the radio waves or the TV waves or whatever going through space versus the antenna catching it and holding onto it and making it real. He said, it doesn't mean that it has manifested in you physically. He said, yes, the energy could be passing through, and that's what their machine read. He said, but it can't say that it's a present experience. And, of course, we did some tests and everything came back fine. And that made so much sense to me, and that's actually what happened when a few weeks ago I went through that healing crisis. But, you know, the blood work did come back, and and they said, you know, well, it shows mono, but it's not active. And it was like, well, this sure feels active, (laughs) symptomatically. But, um, yeah. You had it when you were 15, like 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you you can go through it quicker than, you know, like I think I was out of school for a couple weeks or whatever, and then it took – a few weeks after that before I was well enough to feel like I was back to norm. And this time, you know, it was right at a week, but that was still quicker than it was the first time. And it was an intense so, week. It was. <laughs> you know, the, healing, the healing crisis can be intense, but that, you know, the, the entering the practice of being able to observe the energy that's moving in us, I think is a really big key and that we don't have to become trapped and lost in it right and instead of you know taking um drugs you know which would just lock it back down again to be able to move more holistically and and you know i felt so bad i probably would have taken the drugs except i couldn't swallow (laughs) so it was like you know there's just no way i can take it so i opted for going and getting uh, vitamin C IVs and fluid IVs and and uh, passed on through more quickly and easily. And so, alleviated a serious neck problem that had gone on for at least, what, yes. six years? <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's like least. it came out from the back of my neck. It came out through my throat or whatever. But, yeah, yeah definitely good to be done with that. For sure. So, so you have a choice. Do you want to try to change the world so that it doesn't disturb your samskaras? And samskaras is what he's talking about, the energies that you've locked in and, and not let flow through you. Or are you willing to go through this process of purification? 
Don't make decisions based on stimulated blockages. That's a good thought. Learn to be centered enough to just watch this stuff come up. That's what you were saying about being the observer. Yeah. Once you sit, th- once you sit deeply enough inside to stop fighting the stored energy patterns, they'll come up constantly and pass right through you. They'll come up during the day and they'll even come up in your dreams. Your heart will become accustomed to the process of releasing and cleansing. Just let it all happen. Get it over with. Don't process them one by one. That's too slow. Stay centered behind them and just let go. Just like the physical body purges bacteria and other foreign matter, the natural flow of your energy will purge the stored patterns from your heart. Your reward is a permanently open heart. There is no more value. You live in love and it feeds you and it strengthens you. That is an open heart. That is the instrument of the heart as it was meant to be. Allow yourself to experience every note the heart can play. If you relax and release, the purification of your heart is a wonderful thing. Set your eyes on the highest state that you can imagine. Don't take them off. If you slip, get back up. It doesn't matter. The very fact that you even want to go through this process of freeing the energy flow means you are great. You will get there. Just keep letting go. And that's the end of that chapter. And the next one's transcending the tendency to close. So we'll start on that one tomorrow. Cool. Well, and, you know, the bottom line, and I, I like the next chapter titled, is really willingness. You know, that's the accelerator. That's the cosmic grease. We actually used to, for those who have been to Heartland or haven't been to Heartland, those who have might remember that outside of the teaching center there was a, a deck, an eating, an eating place that was screened in, porch. And there was a small closet-type structure there, small, actually a fairly large one. And uh, it's where we kept all the cleaning supplies. So that, that little room was called Cosmic Grease. It's like everything that it takes to cleanse, the major key is willingness to I live in willingness. That's the cosmic grease. And allowing whatever's resonated rather than having to hold the breath and hide it, allowing oneself to embrace and move through whatever's moving is a major key in the healing process. You know, with willingness, we can take an issue that, you know, maybe took... 10 years to develop, and when it comes back up again, if one's standing in willingness, they can be done with it in two minutes. Depends on how much resistance there is in the, the structure to that energy moving. If one's in a totally willing state, that would be like a, a superconductor state. And so that energy can move in an instant. However, if one is in resistance, and it's interesting that in the Aramaic language, the word Satan does not mean a dude with a red suit, a tail, and a pitchfork. It means the resistor, one who misleads. 
I mean, one holds the breath, locks up muscles, locks up tissue, restricts blood flow, restricts energy flow through the system. The system begins to starve for oxygen, nutrition, waste build up, toxicity builds up, kind of like, you know, if the, if the, uh, the nice cool stream that runs by your front door has a tree fall in it, and over time, the branches coming down the stream get caught in the tree, and the tree turns into a swamp. You get all kinds of smelly swamp things in this, what, you know, last year was a nice, clean, clear, flowing river. And it's no different throughout, literally, you know, the, uh, the microcirculatory vessels of the body. There are between 40 and 60 billion capillaries, depending on whose numbers you accept. And these are blood vessels that are anywhere from the, a tenth to a hundredth the thickness of a hair. Each one of them is a river. And they're controlled by muscle fibers. When one lives in an uptight state, everything locked up, tension. You know, think about you sitting in a nice quiet place enjoying the day and all of a sudden your mind hears a noise that represents to you some sort of a threat. And people go into, it's quite purposely represented by these words, an uptight state. Literally, the muscles become tight. The muscle fibers that control blood flow become tight. It's a protective mechanism. You know, if danger is really present and there's injury, then there's a danger of bleeding to death. So, you know, the structure has adapted to restrict that blood flow, which is wonderful if there's a real danger and there's injury. But if there's not, and that state continues and goes on and on and becomes chronic, then basically what one has is, you know, their whole circulatory system becomes like that that swamp because there was a blockage and the, the locking down, the tightening of the muscle is what creates that blockage. You know, if you watch the video, All the Rage, you can go to, it's a, it's a fabulous video that I've seen many people heal, especially back pain. It's, a, it's about the work of a man named Dr. John Sarno. Sarno passed away a couple of years ago in his early 90s, and he worked right through just about to, uh, to the completion of his life as a researcher at the Rusk Institute. And as a back surgeon, he stopped using the scalpel and started to teach people what their back pain was, and that their back pain was unconscious rage. And his explanation of the unconscious rage and why it turned into back pain, it's a totally and completely mental phenomenon, but the mental phenomenon causes a physical phenomenon to occur, and that is for muscles to tighten. When the muscles tighten, there's a restriction of blood flow. When there's a restriction of blood flow, if you cut a cell off from oxygen supply, it just takes, according to uh, Sarno, a 5% lack of oxygen for a cell to go into excruciating pain. And, of course, if somebody's in your face yelling, relax, what happens? There's more of a tendency to tighten and restrict blood flow. Those blood vessels need to be opened. He's, he's coined a term TMS. And TMS represents the mental phenomenon that creates a physical reaction. Tension mitosis syndrome is what he calls it. The tension from the mind tightens muscles. The tightened muscles restrict blood flow 
the lack of oxygen nutrition, the buildup of wastes in the pathways to the cell creates pain, actual physical pain. He's not saying that this is some sort of psychological mental pain. It is caused by the mind, but it is absolutely physical. And it is the opening of those blood vessels that really allows the blood flow to be restored. And and if it's something that's gone on for years, for many people, this TMS has gone on for decades. It's like where they live their whole lives. And so they're in chronic pain. I I don't know what the numbers are, but you you look at the number of of people who are dying from overdoses today. Most of them started with prescription drugs for valid pain uses. But anesthetizing pain doesn't overcome the muscle tension that locks up the capillaries, that restricts the blood flow, and allows the swamp to build throughout the structure. You know, where there's a swamp, there's infection. There are swamp creatures. They're called bacteria and viruses. If the blood flow is kept open and moving, if the musculature is in a relaxed, softened place. I can remember when I first started, you know, I came out of the business world to do this work. And I can remember when I first came out and, you know, you've, you've heard uh, Patrick McGann, who's a, a dear friend of mine, a fellow naturopath, and he was my first massage therapist when I came out of the business world. And Patrick's a pretty big guy. He's got some pretty strong hands. And he, he almost literally used to cry when he would work on me because my body was so hard, so rock hard, the muscles. I had no awareness of that. I go back and think of it now, and it's like, man, I lived in crazy town. And until those muscle tensions are released and, you know, there's the physiological aspect of it that will enhance release. This is what in the ancient teachings they meant as being holy. It wasn't about being down on your knees with your hands folded. It was about working on every level, the mental, the physical, the emotional, the relational, the environmental influences and impacts that changes need to be made on all levels in order for healing to occur. It's called holistic or holy healing. So the forgiveness key is where you relieve from the mind the accumulated stresses of what in many cases is generations and generations and generations of pain and trauma. On a physiological level, you know, we've discovered a device that, uh, you know, we've actually been using, Jeannie and I personally, for uh, going on three years now, and actually sell and make available to people because of the profound impact we've seen on physiology. It's called an avicen. And basically what it does is through the palm of the hand, there's a heat exchanger in the palm of the hand, and by putting your hand in a chamber that has a vacuum around it that draws blood into the hand and it has a heat pad, the blood is heated and warm blood pouring over the muscle fibers at the head of those 40 to 60 billion capillaries relaxes or softens those muscles and opens the blood flow that you know, has 
been restricted because people are uptight. Change is everything. You know, the owner of the, the, the designer of the machine and the owner of the company, his uh, sister-in-law had migraine headaches that went on for 20 years. And he was working actually with the military at a university in California. And they were working with soldiers who in the field would become overheated from environmental conditions, from the kind of, you know, if they're in war situations, conflicts and such, they're physiologically would become overheated and their job performance would break down. So they were working with how do you get uh, the body to, to cool down effectively? And what they discovered is that in the palm of the hand, there's a heat exchanger, literally like a radiator you notice if people are cold, what do they spontaneously do? They rub their hands together. And when you rub your hands together, that generates heat from the friction. Well, the heat exchanger in the palm of the hand absorbs that heat into the blood, through the bloodstream and literally warms the whole body. Or if you become overheated, you know this one of the things that happens is your palms sweat. That's your body throwing heat off. So discovering that and then recognizing that if, you know, when I first ran into the Avacyn, it was actually Pector Gann that introduced it to me, the gentleman I talked about who was a massage therapist and naturopath. And uh, when he first told me about it, it's like, well, I think I'll just get myself a bucket of hot water and put my hand in it. Like, why would I want to pay for a machine? I'll just... It's like, oh, well, the body has a thing called homeostasis. If you put your hand in a bucket of hot water, within a minute or so, the body says, oops, okay, we've got enough heat there, and it will shut down that uh, those capillaries and the blood vessels so that the, the heat will not overheat the body. And so what the, the one body hack that the designer of the Avacyn did was there's a chamber that you put your hand in, creates a vacuum around your hand, distends all the blood vessels in your hand, draws more blood into your hand, and keeps that flow happening, which won't happen if you put your hand in a bucket of hot water. And within about uh, oh, 10 minutes or so of putting your hand in the machine, all of the blood in the body is warmed just a little less than one degree. Now, there's several ways you can do that. You can actually do that by soaking in a tub of hot water, bath. You can do it by an infrared sauna or a sauna, steam bath. You can do it by going out and running a few miles. There are many different ways you can do that. Unfortunately, if someone needs that warmed blood effect, because of chronic restriction of blood flow, it gets a little messy because it's sweaty and dirty to do all those other things. So you, you, you get into a tub and you sweat and, you know, the water's dirty and, you know, it's not something somebody's going to do two, three, or even four times a day, but sometimes I or Jeannie will do with the Avacyn. 
the, the machine is specifically designed so that it does not raise the body temperature enough to cause you to sweat, yet it raises the core temperature enough to affect the capillary action, the muscle fibers at the head of the capillaries, it's called a precapillary orifice, opens that up and allows blood flow, overcoming the disorder that Dr. Sarno discovered of TMS. Tension. Tension in the muscle. Softens and opens. So it's a device that's um, FDA approved for relaxation and for pain because when you send oxygen to tissue, the pain tends to go away. So as I started to say, he, he was working with cooling the body through the hand and he happened, you know, he had a sister-in-law that had migraines, like 20 years she'd had migraines just about daily. And he came across research that was being done in Florida on uh, women with hormone problems and thyroid problems in particular. And they were using a uh, T3 hormones to raise the body temperature to activate the thyroid. And what they found when they raised the body temperature just at less than one degree is people with headaches stopped having headaches. They disappeared. Well, he put two and two together. It's like, well, if I can, and, and of course, using these T3 hormones to raise the body temperature was effective, but it had a lot of side effects. It was a, another drug where he put two and two together. He's, learning, he's learned how to cool the body in order to enhance uh, military performance, well, now he's devised a way to heat the body using that, what in the, uh, in the medical world is called the arteriovenous anastomosis, the heat exchanger in the palm of the hand. Pretty brilliant, pretty amazing. And so if one lives in that tension state, caused by the mind, the forgiveness work works on the, the mental aspect of what creates that tension mitosis syndrome that Dr. Sarno uh, discovered, and the Avacyn works to provide heat throughout the body that is enough. It's a whole body treatment. You know, the blood that is in the palm of your hand, as your body circulating that blood, leaves your hand goes into the body, within about three minutes, it's back in your hand again. You get three rounds of that, about 10 minutes, and all of the blood in the body is warm. So from head to toe, I know the first thing that I had happen with the second time I put my hand in the machine, some numbness and tingling in the tips of my toes that had been with me for years disappeared. It's like, how is this? I got my hand in here and my toes are changing. So it's really literally increasing blood flow throughout the whole structure. So pretty amazing physical form of forgiveness. The mental, emotional form, Yeshua had down pat. The physical form, this device is, is literally, my conclusion after using it for a few months was, this is a physical form of forgiveness. Pretty powerful, pretty amazing. So it goes hand in hand with that pun intended, hand in hand with, uh, with the process of first century Aramaic forgiveness. Pretty amazing. And so I'm, 
I'm not sure why I went in that particular direction, but that's what came up. And uh, if you're out there in listener land and you have a thought or a question, anything to share, press 1. If you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, then I'm going to invite you to call into the show on your phone directly. The call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you're listening to the show. And then if you push one, we'll be having a conversation. So what's on your mind? How can we support you? Miss Jeannie, do we have anything happening in the chat room or anything happening in the phone queue? It is all quiet. It is all quiet. Okay. So if someone presses well, one, you're first in line. Yes. Oh, hand just went up. Cool. 610. Miss Susan, hi. Hey. Hi, Jeannie. Hey there, young lady. Jeannie, did you just say two hands went up? Nope, just one. Yours. Just one. (laughs) I was going to say, you know, I've spent a lot of time on the phone, so. Anyway, Michael, I was given by this amazing man who has joined our support group. Uh, an article, right. it's a book, it's a very small book called The Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment. Doesn't uh-huh. that <laughs> sound tantalizing? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I have been, and it's in audiobook form and physical form, and I have both of them and I've been using both. They are, to me, one of the most fresh and amazing approaches to the the tools and the things you've been teaching. However, and it's very interesting, this man found his way to his own realizations. His name is Thaddeus Golas, G-O-L-A-S. And I, I sent... This is the author of the uh, book? Yeah. Okay, I see it. And I, I got I, it. Do you? Good for you. Yeah. I'm looking at it. Yep. Yeah. Well, um, it comes in audiobook form, and I sent it to Tim, Dr. Tim first, and he liked it and has been using it along with a couple of other things on his part of the show. But the, and I gave it to my son, who has been resistant, you know, to, even though he says, you're one of the most, he says this to me, get this, and laugh. You're one of the most enlightened people I know, he says to me. I said, well, oh, that's nice to hear. Uh, you haven't seen the half of it, but on the other hand, I said, if you really want something to listen to, because he travels a lot these days, um, listen to this and see what you think. And one part of it, Golas talks about our, our changing from contracted, which means in fear, anger, all the limitations, all the darkness, right. contracted or or expanding, expanded, which is more, you know, no, no resistance. I shouldn't use say the word no. Allowing, curious, open, loving. And he said, I feel myself doing that. I feel myself expanding and contracting. I want to mm. think about this. And he got all excited about it. So we've been talking about this book, but it has been the center of my attention for about two weeks now. Uh, I listen to it, I read it, and I find it hugely comforting for a number of reasons. One is 
he says, if you don't look at something that you immediately judge and dis- and disapprove of and say, I created this, then you are in a dualistic mode and you're, you're in outer darkness yourself. He said, the only way we can love completely or love with any reality is to have the love encompass and include the negative. When you feel you hate someone, and I love that he uses those words because those are my words from my childhood and I still have them in there and he's putting them into the soup and he's saying, if you feel you hate someone, love yourself for that. So he's, and I remember I told you, you, that I ate sweets one day on an off moment and you said, oh, we did that too recently and all I did was look at it and bless it and then I ate it and I thought, you did that. That's what you did. You loved it. You included it, that you would do it all the time. But you didn't isolate it away and say, this is bad. I know I'm all over the place as I talk. But well, and, and recognizing that everything yeah. you do with your mind is important. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, the, that's, that, that's the builder. That's the core of the whole thing is what you do with your mind. Right. So there are things that are physiologically destructive to the energy system. And if I add the destructive mind energy to it, I just triple the impact. Okay, it might be destructive. And if I stand as love and I bless it, then I have the power to help to transmute it, at least some part of the negative aspect of it. Well, believe me, I'm taking that in and I haven't gone hog wild. But um, he says... Love is the highest and holiest action because it always and contains that which is not love within itself. It always and ever moves to include the unloving. And another interesting thing about this guy is he first had his enlightenment experiences by taking LSD. And, you know, we all have feelings about that and we don't know how to... finally know how that affects the mind but when he wrote this he included a couple of places he talked about having a what he called a bummer LSD trip where he saw nothing but darkness and ugly creatures drooling hateful creatures and he looked at them and he was just suffering terribly until the thought came to him he was the mind again Michael that you were saying yeah. Until the thought came to him, what what does this need but love? How about you love this? Or something like that. It was much better than that. And he said instantly he was on the other side of the universe. He was in bliss. And I don't, I, I don't get the sense in the article that he recommends LSD as a way to get anywhere. He made it his business to find his way there without those drugs. And right. So, um, but a weird thing was on an impulse, I sent this article to both Jacob and Luke with an email that said, mind you, I am not sending this so that you can feel free to take weed or drugs. You've had your experiences with that. You know that that's not good for you. However, this is the most amazing sort of user-friendly contemporary um, Denying nothing bad that's going on in the world 
article or a book. And if you feel inclined, I'd love to talk about it with you. Of course, I've heard nothing from either boy. I'm not sure either one's going to do it, and I'm not going to mention it again. But I wondered if you'd like to have a crack at it. Oh, yes. I'm looking at it on Amazon. I'm looking at, you know, the reviews are, are pretty cool, except, and, and there's that old saying of, you know, where, where was the one place that Yeshua never had a miracle in his own hometown? And he's got a yeah. a nephew that reviews it and gives it one star and says it's all trash. <laughs> but the other reviews are really, you know, really look well, good. But I just quickly read through a review by his, his nephew. He's like, this is just pure okay. drivel. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, he probably but, knew him. And the guy, the guy doesn't deny that he's a mess. He was penniless. He was writing this book in San Francisco in a one-room, you know, attic place. That he and he said, "This is, I have to choose this as my joy now that I am here doing this." And he had a lot of doubts about doing it. He's recently died. He died in his early seventies, I think. I'm so sorry. I wish I'd had a chance to talk to him, but basically everything he wanted to say, it's very carefully written and easy to read, and it's about, I think the listen is about an hour and a half, and so that's a lot in one sit, but I listen to it in increments, and he's very clear about chapter divisions and so forth, and it's just another arrow to add to the quiver of what you're already doing. Absolutely. I'm on it. I'm with you. I love I love that uh, in the review that his nephew does, um, and you know, the, as I say, the, there are hundreds of reviews and they're all four and five stars. But his nephew gives this one star, and his nephew mentions that he studied uh, theology, and so you know, it's drivel because he's bought into, I'm sure, some of the churchianity stuff from oh hostility God. and fear that. You know, oh, yeah. it's, but, but anyway, just interesting to uh, to observe that there. That is, well, you're going to get stuff like that. In fact, it's very confusing. I've been on the Internet trying to understand about statin drugs and about intermittent fasting and keto dieting and so forth to get my energy back. And I know doing the work is probably much more important than that, but I've, I'm listening to everything, and there are always naysayers do everything. And so in a way, we've been cut adrift. When medical people say one thing, these guys say another thing, nobody's talking to each other, and we have to be our own advocates. And this gets hard. <laughs> it's hard. Well, you know, 2,000 years ago, there was this guy who said, the way is narrow. Few will find it <laughs> yeah. because there's so much... You know, so much sophistry in the world. I actually um, came across a, a, what for me was a new word, actually just this morning. You know, you, you look at fratricide or homicide is to kill. And I had never heard the word used in terms of brainwashing and killing the mind, but menticide. And wow. much You're of the word, world literally specializes in killing the ability of the human mind to operate as it's designed to operate and to lock us into this hostility and fear game. So it's just was like, oh, I never thought of that word in that context. Wow. But that's what, you know, I mean, it is natural for 
love, and again, I, I would, in reading his book, I'll probably change the meaning of the word love every time I read it because it sounds like he uses it the way I used to use it and the way the whole world uses it. It's something we're going to do as opposed to what we are, but to bring love present to whatever's mm-hmm. moving sounds right on track, and I'll look forward to, to reading through it. Now, it looks like it's out of print, and I see that the uh, the, uh, the cost of the book is pretty like 250 bucks. I guess it must be out of print. No, you, you don't need it. I'll send it to you. I just sent you the video. You should get it in a text. Oh, and okay. I'll cool. try to find, I'll tr- try to find the paper. It's on my computer somewhere, and I'll send that to you. Don't bother with the book. It's it's okay. it's out there for free. So uh, definitely don't spend 250 cool. But yeah, I've seen people selling my book for that, and it's like, boy, I had to go back and get that printed again. But yeah, this is uh, oh yeah, I, I, wow. this is what happens to books that are out of print. So oh yeah, cool. Well, it's so totally rich, and nice. um, otherwise, uh, I don't um, have any anything to report. It's good to be able to come on the radio show and hear you talk. Though, thank Jeannie too for reading. We, you know, the Michael Singer, Jeannie, you're reading it much better. It's just I am attempting to go slow. (laughs) You are. Well, our brains need. In fact, you know what I do with most audiobooks or many? I slow the speech down by an increment. They give you choices. And the Sunberg book, A Walk in the Physical. He's a whippersnapper. He reads it gangbusters fast because he knows it so well. Slowed him down. And suddenly he sounds like an older man. Who cares? I can hear it all and take it in. So that's a great thing if you're using Audible. Maybe other audiobook places do that too. But they give you that option of slowing down the reading. I don't think that's true with Golas's book, but you won't need to. He's older when he's reading it, and he reads it very beautifully. Cool. Sweet and awesome. It Thank is you for introducing awesome. it. Well, and then if it grabs you, I'd love to. Oh, I'm going to ball you out too, Michael. One more small school marm. You said anesthetize again. <laughs> You said anesthetize today. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. If that's the only thing you do that's off the mark, (laughs) you're in good shape. (laughs) I'll go for it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to have to do a worksheet every time you say anesthetize. Well, I'll keep doing it just for you. Okay. (laughs) Just so I do more work. Okay. I'm here only to be truly helpful, and if you have worksheets to do, and I can serve by bringing something up for you to do worksheets on, I am fully available. Oh, all right. For eternity. Okay, so if you, for, <laughs> so if you do it again, uh, I will take it as a compliment. Thank you. Okay. We'll see what happens all right. next time you do it. <laughs> cool. All right. <laughs> All right, young lady. Well, any other thoughts for you? Oh, no, not really. Thank you. Thanks for asking. You all fully at home gardening? We are. Actually, we just expanded our uh, 
our native species garden. We got the first round of it completed, about 65 or so native plants in it. And um, we had a couple of trees to put in, and they wouldn't really fit in that garden. So we just created a new, how many square feet is it, Jeannie? We added about half again. 700 square feet. Yeah, wow. so I went and put cardboard down on the lawn. Yesterday, Jeannie and I took all the stone. We've got a stone uh, foundation around it, just like uh, decorative stone to keep the uh, the soil that we're building on top of the lawn in place. So we just uh, put those stones in place yesterday, and I put cardboard out this morning, and I've got uh, grass clippings on top of the cardboard on half of it. I've still got another half to do. I kind of got to the point of I need an intermission, so... <laughs> Wow. Good for you. That's impressive. We made this tiny kitchen garden, and it is just busting out with so much that we're taking clumps. You know, we tie them up with string and take bunches to church to give to the folks there. Nice. Nice. Cool. All right. Well, you have a blessed day, dear heart. Thank you. You too. And thanks for the show. All right. Lots of love. Appreciate you. Just Janie, well, do we have anybody else in the chat room or anything else happening in phone queue? We've got, well, I guess about two, two minutes. minutes left, so not much time. Yeah. Maybe announce again about the uh, potential for the intuitive development. Yeah, we could do that. We're looking at doing an intuitive development intensive if you're interested. It'll be an online Zoom-type intensive, probably 10 weeks, two sessions a week on a Saturday and Sunday. We're going to do that early enough on Saturday and Sunday so that the folks in Europe that are participating in the book study club can participate. They were the, It was that group that kind of inspired it. And then do you have the dates in front of you for what's coming up with the uh, with the book club? Maybe we should announce that because we are going to do uh, What is the World? We're going to release, we've actually got three sessions we've committed to for the Course in Miracles uh, study yeah. that they're doing in the Hear My Voice book club, and we're going to release three of our catalog videos, ones that normally people would have to buy through that so that uh, people will be able to participate in that. So do you have the dates in front of you, you might share with people, sweetie? Yes, I do. Great. Cool. Um, so we did, we did June the 1st, and you can access that recording. If you go to the website under Schedule and Global Online Book Club, then there's Global Online Book Club ACIM, A Course in Miracles. And so the June the 1st, it's three hours in length, and so that link is out there. So the next one is going to be June the 29th, and then July the 20th, and August the 17th. So those are the next three that we will be doing with showing the videos that we've got and then doing a live question and answer afterwards. And then at that point, um, Inka, I guess, will determine based on uh, interest in everything, whether she continues it. And if we join her, then it would be live instead of being a video. And then, of course, we're still doing the Global Book Club around the Y Book, uh, the second and the fourth. Gotcha, Michael, or have you disappeared? Okay. Well, we're down to about 15 seconds, so I'll just say what Michael usually says, and that is create the best year yet, of your, or the best day yet even, of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Bless you.
Thank you for listening to MindShifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet as we present the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on MindShifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.